Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Uh, Hands up, who's got a favourite TV show? Drama, comedy, the sort of thing that is broadcast season by season, I think we're supposed to call them now. Back in my day, they were series. But I think Americanisms have come in, we now call them seasons. Okay, Uh, only a few of you have got favourite ones. You can keep keep them to yourself, that's fine. But I want to know, are we the sort of people who watch them as they go along and then suffer that? painful experience of the end of series, end of season cliffhanger, and then having to wait for the rest to come. Maybe you've been a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the films that have been uh, coming out. They seem to have been churning out every... uh, Dan, I've not watched one, so I cannot give you any spoilers. Um, But at the end of every single one, presumably, or I've heard people chatting about, oh, I really want X film to come out. I really want... Why film to come out as Star Wars fan, you know, having to wait for the final installment of the Skywalker series. It's this Christmas, is that right, guys? It's this Christmas. But it's, it's like fun watching them. It's fun having a favorite series. It's really nice knowing that there are going to be future episodes made. What a horrible feeling that is when there's nothing to happen in the future. But being stuck in that coming soon um, phase And in many respects, I think, okay, give me a chance to explain this now, I think that maps onto our experience of God. We see, we acknowledge, we even celebrate the things that God has already done, the things that he has done in the past. We are certain and hopeful and looking forward to the things that he is doing, uh, will do in the future but we kind of find ourselves living in the coming soon, living in that awkward part, as if he's got um, a job that's left to finish, and at the moment, he's taking a break. He's on holiday or something. I mean, think about your Christian lives, especially as as a microcosm of this. He has, we say, made us knit us together in our mother's wombs. How wonderful is that? Just to think that we are people who God has created. If you are a Christian, if you're a believer, then he has worked again in rebirth, in saving you, in helping you to be born again. We are expecting him to do something in the future. Maybe we we think of it in mystical terms. We're not really sure what it is, but it will be life that leads on into eternity. But here and now, between what has been done by God and what God, we hope, will do in the future, we're just, I don't know, twiddling our thumbs, feeling awkward, itching for something to happen. We're in that frustrated, coming soon space. I started off with Psalm 104, and I think really it's a fantastic call to worship. That's exactly how we used it this morning. But when we see it, well, what's happening? Praise the Lord, my soul. 
Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wings. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. And at the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. It's, it's a powerful, powerful psalm. I, I hope we felt that as we read it together at the start of the service. But it sets us up for exactly that sort of experience that I'm explaining, doesn't it? Of a God who is wonderful simply because he has done something in the past. Surely it's evoking um, pictures and images of God creating everything, ordering everything, putting everything in its proper place, and then being done with it. It's helpful in the sense that it it encourages us to celebrate and to worship that God who is that powerful. And yet if that is all we have, then we are exactly in that situation I've described. It's great that God has acted. Hopefully he will act in the future, but now, who knows emoji? But in verse 10 of Psalm 104, the tide turns as it were and we don't just read about what he has done but what he is doing he makes springs pour water into the ravines it flows between the mountains they give water to all the beasts of the field the wild donkeys quench their thirsts the birds of the sky nest by the waters they sing among the branches He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. You see, it's it's like a present tense description of God at work, not just in the past, but presently. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there, all creatures look to you to give them, when? In the past? No, now. Their food at the proper time. So here's the God is truth that I want us to see this morning. That Psalm 104, I think, brings out to us. That God has revealed about himself. It's this. That he is active. God is active. He's not just one who has acted and one who has promised that he will act in the future. He is one who is presently at work in our world. Testimony of the whole of Scripture isn't just that God has worked in special moments, in special ways, although we see that wonderfully. But when we read especially things like the second half of Psalm 104, we see it, don't we? That God is doing things in our world. That God is doing things in our lives. I've been reading this week the book of Job, and in Job 38 and 39, God comes back and he, he speaks to Job. And there's this kind of like moving back and forth between him describing things that he has done 
and things that he is doing. He questions Job, did you do this? Past tense. Are you the one who is doing this? Present tense. All through Scripture, we see this truth being revealed to us that God has done, but He is still at work. He is still doing things. The story doesn't really change when we come to the New Testament. Now, in a sense, we will think, okay, well, the New Testament is the story of what God has again done. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. We've covered all of that, Mark's gospel, great, past tense. Only, how does it still describe Jesus? Well, Paul says that Jesus is the one who holds all things together. That's not just a description of someone who has been at work, but someone who is working presently. The author to the Hebrews describes Jesus in lots of ways, but it includes this description as one who sustains all things by his powerful word. That God, and Jesus even specifically, is involved, at work, is active. Perhaps it's a general sense so far. We'll see that it's more than that. But this is good news, guys, that God hasn't kind of done something and is now on a break on an extended leave, on holiday, sleeping, any other description that might um, bring us to the conclusion that he's not going to be at work today. He is active. I found this in Paul's prayer to the Philippians this week, and I thought, another example just of how God is at work specifically. This is Paul praying for the Philippian church. He says, I always pray with joy, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, who has done something in the past, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I think we get the, the bookends of that so clearly in our minds. Jesus has done something, and one glorious day when he comes back, he's going to do something wonderful again. But we, we miss out on, or, or we're hazy around the edges of that middle bit that he is carrying on that good work in us. It's not like waiting for a builder. Have any of you had this experience? Or a tradesperson? I don't want to single builders out amongst. I'm going to list them all. Plumbers, carpenters, electricians, all these sorts of people who start a job And then the phone rings, and they're gone, and they're off somewhere else. And you're left with half a job. Mm. Awkward, isn't it? I mean, it's just true of us as people anyway, usually, when we do our own little bits of DIY, where there's a job that's been started, and it's just left, waiting until someone comes back to complete it. That is not the picture we get in our Bibles. That is not who God has revealed himself to be. That is not who Jesus is, someone who has started something and will finish it at an undetermined later date, but someone who is on the job at the moment, actively in work. And Caleb read to us um, the story of Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday today, by the way. Um, the Sunday marked out in the calendar for us to remember exactly what went on in the early church. Jesus has ascended, uh, the disciples are hanging about, and the Spirit comes powerfully. 
I think it's a story that shows us vividly this truth that God is still active in our lives, in our church, and in our world. So Caleb read to us from Acts chapter 2. But prior to that, in chapter 1, Jesus had called the disciples together and he'd given them a specific set of instructions. Um, In chapter 1, we read that Jesus said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. So there's one instruction, wait. And then he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. There's the second instruction. You will be my witnesses, or go and be my witnesses. Wait, he said, until you receive power on high, and then go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He's got a purpose in mind, hasn't he? He's got a purpose in mind. And in chapter 2, we see God at work to fulfill that purpose. Sometimes um, Acts chapter 2 is a confusing passage for us, a confusing story, boring story maybe. Um, we see things like tongues of fire appearing above people's heads. What's that about? We don't investigate. We hear or we read a list of places and people groups that we can relate to not one single bit. We say, well, what's that about? We hear Peter preaching the first ever Christian church sermon, if you like. And we can't really relate to some of the things that he's saying. We say, well, what's that about? It's about God being at work. It's about God doing presently the things which Jesus spoke about. Empowering his people to be his witnesses. It's about God being active. If you don't believe me, well, there's this detail which we often fly over in verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This wonderful miracle where the disciples were able to speak languages from all the nations that were gathered there. Great! But for this end, for this point, that people from every corner of the globe, as they knew it, who were gathered in Jerusalem, could hear the wonders of God, could know that and respond to it. They were being witnesses for Jesus, just as he had told them to be. It's not a case of God having done something special at Calvary and leaving the disciples with a vague promise of one day coming back, is it? God has got a grander plan, a bigger purpose, and he's told them that he will be involved in it right the way through. Jesus mentioned... um, earlier in his ministry about the Holy Spirit coming, and he uses phrases like the comforter or the helper, the Holy Spirit being at work in them and through them and before them. God is active. God is active. But I think actually to really feel the force of this on Pentecost Sunday especially, we need to consider another truth about God, and that is that God is an empowering God. That one of the regular patterns that we see in Scripture is that when God calls us to be involved in what He is doing, He empowers us, He equips us to do that. I spoke last week about God uh, being in control about him having work and purposes and a will that he has decided and he will make sure it's done. 
only strangely, he invites us to be a part of it. And I encouraged us to join in, to not just think, well, God's going to do it, so I don't need to be involved, but to join in. And actually, with the spread of the gospel, with the growth of the church, we see a specific example of God inviting us to join in. And at Pentecost, him not just inviting the disciples to complete a certain task, but empowering them and equipping them to do that. You see it in so many stories in the scriptures. Think about the story of Moses. Now, presumably, we all know vaguely speaking who Moses is. Moses was the man who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. More than that, he guided them through the wilderness. He was the mediator, the um, kind of uh, the go-between between God and the people. He spoke on behalf of the people to God. He spoke on behalf of God to the people. It was through Moses came the law to them and, and many, many promises and so on and so forth. But right at the start of Moses' story, when God spoke to him from a burning bush, told him that he was going to be the instrument, the person called to lead the people out of slavery, Moses, probably rightly, said, God, you've made a bad decision there. I'm not up to the task. I can't do this. They won't listen to me. They won't believe me when I say that I've encountered the living God. They won't understand me with my weak, uh, stammering voice. They want this, they want that. And if you go back and you read that story, the earliest chapters in Exodus, you will see that God empowers and equips Moses to do the very thing that he's called him to do. He gives him signs. He gives him his name. He gives him Aaron to go along with him and to be his mouthpiece to the people and to Pharaoh. God empowers. Possibly my favorite story in all of the scriptures, the book of Jonah. Jonah was someone who was called to go and preach to his enemies. And he really didn't want to do that, did he? He really didn't want to do that. He spent three days, apparently, in the, in the belly of a ginormous sea creature, a big fish or a whale or something like that. And God called him again at the end of it and said, Come on, Jonah, I've called you. I'm sending you to Nineveh to preach to it. And he goes, and through gritted teeth and with burnt and blistering skin, presumably from the time inside the fish, he kind of shared a simple message with this great city who hated him and everything he stood for. And the entire city turned and repented and trusted in God. Now, I can't understand that story apart from God, not just calling Jonah, but equipping him and empowering him as well. One of the most random examples of this, I think, is in Exodus 31. Amongst all the uh, commands and instructions about creating the tabernacle, in Exodus 31, we meet a couple of guys, one of whom is called Bezalel, and he's the chief like artist, craftsman, supposed to be in charge of making all the things, the uh, decorations, etc., for the tabernacle. And the description is wonderful. It's wonderful because it says God has called him and filled him with the Spirit and equipped him to do the thing that God has called him to do. It's not just instructions. Here you are, Israelites. This is how I want my tabernacle to look. Now get on with it. It's this is how I want it to look. And I'm going to make it so that you can do exactly what I've called you to do. It's a wonderful example. 
You see it as well time and time again in the book of Judges. We went through that a couple of years ago, didn't we? And like a very specific description of God filling by his spirit people to lead and to rescue. We saw it in the life of Saul as we were going through 1 Samuel, who when he was king, God's spirit filling him to do that. And David later, the exact same description. In short, what I'm trying to say is that when God is active, and he's active in the sense of using us, calling us to do things, he's also empowering and equipping. So go back to Pentecost and think about it specifically to do with mission, sharing, witnessing, testifying, spreading the good news about Jesus, letting others in on the secret, shining like a light into the darkness. God is active. He calls us to be a better witness, and so when he does that, you better believe it that he is going to make it so that we can be a witness. It almost begs the question, I think, when we read Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 1 even, Jesus hasn't given the command to go to the ends of the earth and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which begs the question, if they have to wait until God is at work through them by the Holy Spirit, when we consider the mission that we are carrying on, do we see it as something that we can only achieve in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or do we see it as something that God has left for us to do and thanks very much, God, now we know what to do to fill our spare time while we're waiting for you to come back and to work in the future? I think that's probably how we view things more, truthfully and honestly. That, yes, God will be at work. Jesus will come back and he'll, he'll put everything right. He'll recreate uh, new heavens, new earth. It'll all be wonderful. And what do we do when we're in that coming soon period? Well, he's given us a few jobs, so we'll get on with it. That wasn't the case at Pentecost. God said, I've got a job for you, and I'm going to equip you and empower you, and I will be as much at work in it as you. Pentecost is literally the celebration of the first fruits, a festival that the Israelites were supposed to be keeping all the way back from the time of Exodus. And so it's not a special instance, it's not a special case in that sense. It's a template for us of what the church was going to look like the rest of the time. That is people who are filled with God's Spirit, who God is working in and on and through to reach the end of the world. So we have to ask the question, are we reliant on an active God in order to do the things that he has called us to do? When we are witnessing to him, and I don't just mean when myself or John or the Open the Book team have an opportunity to stand up and to explain something about Jesus to everyone else, are we uh, depending on the Holy Spirit then? I hope we are in all of those circumstances, but are we church family, God's people, his mission team? Are we dependent on God at work in us and through us to get the job done? I think open the book is a wonderful thing. It's not just our church that does it. There are other churches, um, even in Ammonford, who do it in the Welsh school. Um, it's, it's a tremendous thing. But honestly now, if we're left with a choice of them doing it without the Holy Spirit, 
no, there's not, I'm not offering a choice now. I was going to say, or not doing at all. Essentially, I'm saying they, they're essentially the same thing. We need, that's only useful. Those children are only remembering those stories and will only be impacted by those stories and will only be transformed by those stories if the Holy Spirit, God, is being active. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds, the laborer labors in vain. Are we dependent, are we relying on the activity of God in our mission? God also calls us to love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, build one another up, to serve one another, to be hospitable to one another. Same question. Do we think of these as tasks that God has left us to do while he's having a break, waiting to come back? Or do we think of these things as things that we need God to be at work in us and through us and before us in order to do? I wonder, like conceptually now, close your mind for a second if you need to. Do you think of loving each other, forgiving each other, serving each other as something that you can adequately do in your own strength? I think there's a sense in which we can pursue those things in our own strength. We can exhibit them to a, an extent in our own strength, but God doesn't want us to do it in our own strength. He wants us to be doing it in a way that is totally and utterly beyond us. He has called us to do all of these things and he will empower us. What does it look like to love one another to such an extent that we can only do it? When the Holy Spirit is at work through us. What does it look like to forgive one another to such an extent that we can only do it when the Holy Spirit is at work with us? When we were in Coffee Cake this week, we were sharing a couple of stories. And they were stories um, from uh, survivors of World War II prison camps. Um, it was D-Day on Thursday, so that was kind of like in our minds, World War II. And we had a couple of of stories, two or three stories of people who met again uh, those who had captured them and imprisoned them and abused them and then face to face with them decades later forgave them. And I thought, what a wonderful example of forgiveness that it goes so far beyond what you and I are capable of, has to be done in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. What would it look like to be hospitable to the extent that you have to depend and rely on God at work? I don't know. I think uh, there are plenty in church who are hospitable to an extent anyway. You like being near people. It, it fills you with warmth and joy to extend hospitality, to show love and service in that way. But guys, God is calling us to be hospitable so far above and beyond what we think or what we know we are capable of. Paul speaks on a number of occasions that actually the Holy Spirit gives gifts, grace gifts, spiritual gifts in order that we might actually one another so much better 
two places specifically, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He gets specific. It's not exhaustive, but it is specific in different sorts of ways that God equips and empowers people in his family to serve and to love and to care and to um, help one another. Speaks of gifts of prophecy and teaching and exhortation and giving and leadership and mercy and wisdom and helping and knowledge and serving and faith and healing and special miracles and discernment and speaking and interpretation of tongues and administration, probably the most glamorous gift of all. It's a really long, it's a really diverse list, but here's the headlines that go along with it. To each one, a manifestation of the Spirit has been given. Why? For the common good. For the church, for the church family to grow. For us to one another as he has called us to one another. He says that each person's empowering by the Spirit doesn't really belong to them, but belongs to everybody else in God's family. That God is active through us in special ways, and it's for the good of everyone around us. As I said, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's specific enough for us to see that God wants us to be doing things to benefit each other and to help one another grow. He hasn't just called us to mission. He hasn't just called us to the one another things, but he has called us to maturity, to grow in our faith, in our knowledge, in our character, I think this one is a little bit harder to pin down in many senses because we are task-orientated people. If God has called us to do something, we can like assess whether we are actively doing it and how successful we have been. But throughout the scriptures, we see that God doesn't just care about the things that we do, but the people we are. He cares about us lining up with the sorts of human, pe- human beings in our character and our temperament that he's designed us to be. If you wanted to this afternoon to go and to look at 1 Corinthians 12, for example, for this amazing uh, list of all the things in that church that Paul sees God doing through the Holy Spirit in specific people, keep on reading. Because in chapter 13, it moves on to Paul's famous verse on love. And this chapter about love is all about describing really how if, even if our tasks, if you like, the things that we are doing for one another are up to scratch, but our character, our nature, our way of doing it isn't loving, then really it is for nothing. We can say that God, by his spirit, is actively empowering us in terms of our maturity. Paul's got another list, which I think is always nice. Again, I don't think this is exhaustive, but it is specific of the way that when the spirit is at work in people's lives, he is helping us to line up more and more and more with God's design for us. That we would be more loving and joyful We'd have more peace, forbearance, I think that's another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, we can all agree that these are virtuous things, can't we? And we can all agree that in some way, shape, or form, we can seek and strive to, to grow in each one of these. 
But the simple truth of the matter is, without God's Spirit at work in us, we will not come close to attaining the maturity that God wants for us in these things on our own. God has designed people to be exactly like that. And by His Spirit, that is the fruit, Paul says, that grows in us. God is active. God does equip. God does call us to mission, to one anothering, and to maturity. Very quickly, so what? If all that is true, if God is an active God, that we're not just in that coming soon period waiting for Jesus to come back to see God at work, if he is a God who is at work through us and in us and around us by his Holy Spirit, empowering us to do all of these things, what should our attitudes be in the coming weeks and months and years? I think it should be one, we should be expecting God to work. I think if we could go this morning with anything being changed in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, it would be this, that we would be an expectant people. Like, I hope already that we're a grateful people for the, for the bookends of what God has done and what he will do. I hope that we're grateful for that. But I really want us to leave this morning if we've got that knowledge that God is active, that we would leave expectant, that he will be at work in our lives, through our lives, and around our lives. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Why do we come to God's word and study it if we're not expecting him to speak to us through it? Why do we spend time as God's family together on a Sunday, on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, whenever your rooted groups meet? If we're not expecting God to be at work, why do we do things like tiddlywinks and coffee cake and food bank and youth clubs and torch and all manner of things like that, unless we're expecting God to be at work through them for his glory and for his kingdom? Why do we involve ourselves in the lives of our neighbors and our colleagues and our friends and our town and our villages in general unless we're expecting God to do something? We should be expectant. God is active and he will be at work through us. Be expectant, please. We should desire. We should desire to be called by God. And I want to say it specifically like this. We should desire to be called by God to things that aren't simply us at work, but God at work through us. Like, because we can take the tasks and the characteristics and all the sorts of things that we read about in the scriptures that are supposed to be ours, and we can think and we can devise ways that we are going to do that on our own. But you know what? What? Wouldn't it be so much more wonderful to be in that place, to be in that circumstance where you know the only way that that's going to get done is if it, God is at work through you and in you. Isn't that wonderful? To just be at that point where without God, I'd have to give up. It's scary. It's terrifying. Because that means we are right at the edge, staring over the precipice. But to come through that on the other side, 
when we finish the service in a second now, um, please speak, ask, share with one another if you've got a testimony or an example in your own life where you are right at the edge and you knew that you couldn't get through something, you couldn't achieve something, you couldn't do something unless God was at work. Share your story with someone this morning about how God was at work and how it's just been the most wonderful experience in your life. I know that those stories exist.